Our God is so worthy of all of our praise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. God, thank you for just being so high and set apart from us. Thank you for your holiness. And God, we join with all the angels to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory, Lord. And so God, we pray this weekend as we've come together that you would reattune our hearts to you, that you would allow all the cares and worries of this world to fade away so we could focus in on you. And God, as we read your word together, I pray that our lives would be changed in your presence. God, compel us to love you more and compel us to love others as well. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for singing with us. Go ahead and take a seat. Well, it is 4th of July weekend, and you are at church. Way to go. You could be at the lake, or you could be somewhere else, but you made the best decision by being here with us. And if you're watching online, that counts as well. So welcome. Well, I have a question for you guys as we get started this 4th of July weekend. When I say the word love, what do you think about? What do you think about when you hear the word love? You might think of romantic love between a man and a woman or that person, that man or that woman of your dreams. Or maybe you think of your love of chocolate. Or maybe it's your love for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, all four of you. Way to go. Uh, when I think about love, it actually takes me all the way back to the fourth grade. Because back in the fourth grade, there was this little girl named Misty that had a crush on me. And I could see why, because I was a pretty attractive kid uh, when I was in elementary school. Here's a picture of one of my elementary school pictures. Yeah, it was the clip-on tie that drove the ladies crazy. <sighs> But I was attractive in the fourth grade as well. And Misty had this little crush on me, and she would write me notes like every day in class. And she would spell out that note very clearly. She would write the note by saying, Andrew, I like you. Do you like me? Then she would make two check boxes, one for yes and one for no. Now, being a little bit of a gamer, <laughs> I would draw a third box and then draw a line down and I would write the words as a friend. Then I would mark that box and I would send it back to Misty. Well, Misty got tired of my little games and shenanigans, so she took it up a notch and she wrote me one final letter. And would you believe this? After 35 years, my mom kept the actual note. I don't know if she was trying to prove that girls actually liked me in elementary school <laughs> or what she was going for. But like for your enjoyment today, though, I brought the actual note. We'll put it up on the big board for you so you can see as well. The note says, to Andrew from Misty. And then if you open up the note, here's what it says. Extra, extra, read all about it to Andrew. Note at bottom. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. It says, Dear Andrew, I know that you like me as a friend, but you see, Mark likes me. Now, if you like me for a girlfriend, tell me, 
because if you don't like me, I'll like Mark. <laughs> but we could be friends and we could sit by each other at reading and follow up and in the media center. But if you like me, tell me and I'll like you as a boyfriend. But if you don't, we could still be good friends. Sincerely, Missy, right back, P.S., right back. <laughs> well, all I needed, folks, was this little note. I wrote her back. Oh, yeah, I wrote her back. And I said, I want you as my girlfriend. And from then on, we were going around. <laughs> I mean, we were the hot item at our elementary school. We showed up every day and we held hands and everyone knew that I was the man. I beat out Mark for the girl and it was great. It was so good. Four days later, <laughs> I showed up for school and I'm thinking at recess, I'm going to go out and see my girlfriend. So I walked past the kickball field and the monkey bars and I'm like, I'm going to go see my girlfriend. But I was stopped by three of Misty's best friends. And they said, Misty doesn't want to see you today. And I could see her over the friends and she was crying by the big oak tree. So I pushed back past her friends and I said, Misty, Misty, what's going on? And she looked at me and she said, it's over. <laughs> and my heart was broken for about 15 minutes. <laughs> but it's so funny, isn't it? Like when we're in elementary school, we think we know all about love. We even play house and we have a mom and a dad and kids. But what are we doing? We're just playing pretend, aren't we? We're just going through the motions. We can't understand what love really is. So we just kind of act like it. Well, here's the sad thing that I found as a pastor. When it comes to loving God, I think a lot of times people just go through the motions. They say that they love God with their mouth, but with their actions, with their lifestyle, it doesn't reflect the fact that they love God. That's why this talk is so important today. Because God, I believe, made and created you to love him and to love other people. And we find the most joy, we find the most satisfaction when we love God and when we love others. And we're going to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's found in, Ma in uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And I love this passage of Scripture. It's one that you can't read very quickly. You've got to chew on it. You've got to sit in this passage. Because Jesus has some guidance for all of us on how to really love God and how to love other people. But let me paint the scene as to what's happening. Because this is the last week of Jesus' life. And he's welcomed into Jerusalem as the Messiah. After he's welcomed into Jerusalem on Sunday, on Monday, he goes into the temple and he cleans house. Jesus truly was a troublemaker, as we've learned. Jesus turns over all the tables. And because of that, the religious leaders are hot. I mean, they are angry at Jesus. They are so mad. So for the next few days, they spend time debating him in the temple courts. They try to ask Jesus every hard question that they know, but their intentions aren't right. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him up. 
But take note of this. If you want to get into a test of wits, you may not want to step into the ring with the God of the universe. Because Jesus basically tears them to shreds. He takes every single one of their questions and he turns it around. But there is one scribe that's in the temple courts that day. That scribe is actually leaning into the conversation. And he sees that Jesus is giving a good answer. And so he takes the time to ask one more question. And it's in Jesus' response that we find true life and living. Here's what the scribe says to Jesus in verse number 28. It says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So he asked the question, what's the most important commandment? Now, this wasn't a new question that the religious leaders had during this time. This was a question that they actually wrestled with all the time. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't just have the Ten Commandments, but they had come up with six hundred, I mean that's a lot, six hundred commandments and rules to follow in order to have a right relationship with God. And they had also come up with a system to score and rate all the different commandments as to which one was the most important. So this scribe comes to Jesus and he says, which one is the most important? But what I love about Jesus is he always sees the heart. He always sees the heart of the individual who's asking the question. And he sees that this man's heart, this man's intention is pure. So Jesus takes the time to answer the question. Here's what it says in verse number 29. He says, the most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So Jesus starts by sharing a common passage of scripture that they knew. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means to listen. And it was a summons for all of Israel to listen to God. And the same is true for us. If we want to get outside of just going through the motions, we've got to start by listening to God. We've got to put God in his proper place of authority, that he is the one God. The one God who created everything that we see with our eyes. The same God who hung every star in its proper place. There is a God who has authority over all of us. And we're to listen to him. If you want to grow, you want to get outside of just going through the motions, you got to start by listening to God. And here's really the way that Jesus gives us to get out of going out through the motions in life. The first thing that you have to understand is this. Number one, you have to understand that you were made to love God. That's how God created us. God created us with a heart to love him in response. You're not just an accident. You're not just the combination of a lightning bolt that hit this cosmic soup. You were created on purpose. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus identifies those areas to love him with. But this word for love is a very important one to notice. It's not romantic love. It's not brotherly love. This word for love here is that unconditional sense. That same word for love is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God really loved us unconditionally. How? He sent Jesus to die in our place. He gave his very best for us. And in that same way, we should love God in return with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus is very specific about loving God with every single area. Why? Because he wants our love to be comprehensive. He wants it to be with all of our very being. But those places that he addresses, those areas of our life are so important for us to understand. What is it to love God with all of your heart? Well, in Hebrew, the word for heart is the word lev. And in Hebrew, the heart is actually the center of where all decisions are made. It's the very center of your will. So to love God with your heart means that I'm giving God control of my very life. I'm no longer making decisions based upon what's best for me, but instead I'm yielding over control to him and saying, God, you are in control. One of the things, if you've ever met me, you'll learn, is the fact that I love to drive. I love it. I love having the car keys in my hands, and I love being in control of the vehicle. I'm a little bit of a control freak. I know that, okay? Lots of counseling, lots of therapy is helping, okay? But I love to drive. When my wife drives, I feel out of control. It's very difficult. Why? I love having the car keys in my hands. Well, when we come to this area of control, we have to give God the control of our lives. We have to say, God, I'm letting you drive. I'm giving you the keys. That's what loving God with your heart is all about. It's giving him the keys and saying, God, I want you to be in control. After the heart, Jesus addresses the soul. He says, love God with all your soul. What does it mean to love God with your soul? With the soul, it hits on what are you passionate about? What things get you really excited? What do you cry over? You see, when you love God with your soul, you're saying, God, I want your passions to be my passions. When I first moved here to New Mexico, I found that there are no professional sports teams. No one told me in advance. I mean, there was no professional baseball, football, basketball, or anything else. But what I found when I arrived was a passion and a love for the New Mexico Lobos. Yes. Um, I didn't understand it when I first got here. Uh, but back then, about 12 years ago, the New Mexico Lobo basketball team was like really good. Uh, Steve Alford was the coach during that time. Every year they made it to the tournament. And I just didn't get it when I first got here. But I had this buddy who was like, Andrew, you got to go to a Lobo game. I mean, if you want to see passion, if you want to see life, you got to go to a Lobo basketball game. And so I was like, okay, I, I guess I'll go. He said, I can get you great tickets if you want to go. I said, okay, I'll go down. So I take a few friends down to the pit. And I show up that day to the will call, and I find this envelope. I pick up the envelope, and it has Steve Alford's name on it. He had gotten me Steve Alford's tickets to the game. So I look at the tickets, right? And I notice it says like 300, and I'm like, oh, man, this is in the nosebleed. This is going to be really bad. But what I didn't understand is the higher your ticket number was, the closer you got to the basketball floor. So I go into the pit, right? And I'm walking lower and lower and lower to where I am almost on the court. 
It is incredible seats. In fact, halfway through the game, the lady who sat behind us tapped us on the shoulder and said, um, excuse me, um, do you know the governor? We said, why? She said, because you are sitting in the governor's seats. That's how good we had it. And I have to tell you, I got caught up in the euphoria. I got caught up in the excitement. Everyone's a lobo when you sit in the pit. It was incredible. I was screaming my guts out. I was excited. I lost my voice. It was incredible. And the lobo still lost. (laughs) They'll break your heart. But I've never seen such passion. I've never seen such excitement. I have to ask the question. Are you just excited about the things of God? Are you just as passionate about living for the Lord? Are you just as passionate every time you come into one of our worship services or when you watch this service online? Or do you sit back as this is something you have to do? That's not the way it should be. This should always be something that we get to do, that we get to be in the presence of God, that we get to spend time with him. We should be excited and passionate. And loving God with all your soul says, God, I'm going to allow your passions to be my passions as well. Loving God with your mind hits on the things that you think about. It hits on your intelligence. Do you think about God constantly? See, when a guy first falls in love with a woman, he can't stop thinking about her. That's what happened to me. I still remember being a single guy. And before I fell in love, I was just interested in work and all other things. But when I fell in love with now my wife, Laura, and we were just dating, I couldn't stop thinking about her. Nobody had to tell me to think about Laura because I'd be sitting at work all day long going, oh, Laura. I was just a little lovebird. I mean, I was Twitter-pated. I mean, I was so excited about this girl. I couldn't stop thinking about her. Why? Because I fell in love. And the same is true with God. When you fall in love with God and you love him with your mind, you can't stop thinking about him. You're constantly reading his word. You're constantly memorizing scripture. Why? Because you want to be close to him. You want to know him deeply. I love what it says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. In these things I delight, declares the Lord. I love that. What does God say? Let him who boasts, boast in this. Let him boast that he knows me, that he has a deep relationship with me. You see, your relationship with God, it's just that. It's a relationship. And relationships take effort. You should be thinking about God. You should be spending time getting close to him if you want to know him. The final area that Jesus hits is to love God with all your strength. And that hits on where are you putting your action in your life? I mean, are you serving God? Are you doing something big for him with your energy and with your effort? Are you giving your very best to God? Now look at those four areas, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Think about this week. Which one of those areas needs work for you? Maybe you need to work on loving God with your heart. 
because you're not making good decisions right now. And you need God's help to make better decisions with him in authority, giving him the keys of your life. Maybe it's to love God with your soul. Maybe you're excited and you're passionate about everything else but God. Maybe this is that time to get recentered on him at a soul level. Maybe you need to love God with your mind. Maybe it's been a long time since you spent time reading God's word and thinking about God. He's just a passing thought here and there when you come to church. Maybe you need to love God with your mind. Or maybe it's to love God with your strength. Maybe you've never signed up around Sagebrush to really serve somewhere. Maybe you're not giving your best effort towards the things of God. My hope is that you'd love God with all these areas. That you'd focus on one this week. But notice that verse in scripture because there's a word that connects all these different areas. Jesus says to love God with all of your heart. All of your soul. All of your mind. And all of your strength. Why does Jesus say it that way? Jesus doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of you. He wants you to give him everything. But here's the problem as Americans, we are really good at compartmentalization. I know that's a big word. But we tend to compartmentalize all of our life. We live our lives kind of like a TV dinner. I grew up as a child of the 80s, so I ate a lot of TV dinners. But if you remember TV dinners, right, it's got all those different sections in it. You've got like the main course, and then you've got the potatoes, and you've got the vegetable, and you've got the little brownie that you tried to cook to perfection, but it always came out bad. But you got all those different areas, right? And a lot of times those areas don't mix. And sometimes we live that same way. With God, we've got our church life, and every time we come to church, right, we can live for God, and we could sing all the worship songs. But then we've got our work life, right, where we go to work, and we just work all day long. We don't think about the things of God. And then we've got our home life as well. We just go home and we relax. We go on cruise control. We let our mouth just fly off the handle. God's not looking for you to divide all these areas up. God wants all of you. God doesn't want 25% of your life or 50% or 75%. He wants 100% of you. You got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But most followers of Christ, we think that we can hide from God, don't we? We think that we can hold back, but God sees everything. I'm reminded of the story of the couple that had just started dating for about four months. And the guy had the great idea, I'm going to take this girl to Disneyland. So they go to Disneyland together, and they are having an incredible date. But being a private couple, they only held hands. They didn't want to kiss one another in public. They didn't believe in PDA or any stuff out there, so they didn't want to gross anybody out as well. So they refrained from kissing. But the guy, he came up with a good idea. See, because he knew that the haunted mansion was very dark. And so he looked at her and he said, hey, you want to go to the uh, haunted mansion? And she said, sure, that sounds great. So they go to the haunted mansion, right? They ride that big old long elevator and they get into one of the little doom buggies, the little carriage that takes you around the ride. And when it got really dark, he's like, this is my moment. And so he starts kissing the girl. 
And after a few seconds, the ride came to a complete stop. And all of a sudden, somebody came over the loudspeaker PA and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a family attraction. Please keep all hands and arms and faces to yourself. <laughs> what the guy didn't know is that there are cameras all throughout that ride that see through the dark. And some little ride operator was seeing everything that was happening in that little cart. And all of a sudden, the little voice came over just his cart and said, Ha, ha, ha. I see you. So I said to Laura, Do you think they saw us? And she said, yes, Andrew, they totally saw us. We were caught right in the middle of Disneyland. And sometimes we're the same way, right? We think that we can hide things from God. We think that we can pull things over God's eyes, but, but we can't. God sees everything. And a lot of people treat God that way, that he's looking up at heaven down at us and he's angry over everything that we do. That he's just looking to zing us. But here's what I love about God. God knows everything about us. And in spite of the fact that we don't have it together, he still loves us. Let me say that again. God knows everything about you. And he still loves you. In fact, he loved you so very much. That he sent Jesus to die on the cross for every wrong thing that you've ever done. He cared about you that much. And in light of the fact that God has loved us so much, how should we respond back to him? We should love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should love him with all of our very being. But that love wasn't just meant for him. That love was also to be shared with others. You see, if you want to get outside of just going through the motions, not only do you understand that you were created to love God, but you've got to understand that you were created to love others. You were made to love other people. Jesus says this very clearly because he gives us a bonus commandment. Here's what he says. He says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus says, after you've loved God, you should allow that love to overflow to others. Jesus was reminding them of something that he brought up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify or praise your Father in heaven. Live in such a way that the world sees that there's something different in you. Live in such a way that you love other people so much that it draws them into the kingdom of God. We should be different from others. We should be the most loving people around. And in fact, that's just what the early church did. They loved other people. They welcomed in widows and orphans and so many others. And when they did that, the world took notice. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that they enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added daily to the number of those who are being saved. Why did people come become followers of Jesus Christ? It's because he, they saw this group of Christians 
who were living differently from everyone. They were the most loving people in the world. How was the world shook? The world was shook because people said yes to love God and to love others. That's what made a difference. This scribe hears Jesus respond positively and gives a great answer. And so the scribe responds this way, says this in verse 32. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I love that. Because Jesus sees this scribe. And this scribe is reaching out to God. This scribe is understanding that most important commandment to love God and then to love other people. And so Jesus compliments him. And when Jesus compliments him, the Bible says that no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. Why? Those religious leaders' plan had backfired. This man was now closer to believing in Jesus because of all those questions that they had asked. Here's what I, I wish that we knew about the story. I wish we knew what happened to this man. We don't. The Bible doesn't say if he changed his life from then on. We don't know if he heard this message from Jesus and his life was forever different. And we don't know the same about you. You might come to our worship service or you might watch this online and you might hear a good message and go, wow, those were some really good stories. But then you walk out of here and you go back to that same way of living. But here's what I know. God can change the hardest of hearts. I've seen this personally because I grew up in a family where my mom was a follower of Christ, but my dad was not. My dad always tried to be a good man. He thought that his good deeds would get him into heaven. In fact, he was a firefighter, so his responsibility was saving people's lives. He had gone to church when he was younger, but he really just wasn't very interested in church altogether. As a firefighter, sometimes he'd even go to church with us, but he carried one of those big block pagers back in the 80s, and he would actually set the pager off in the middle of the church service just so that he could get out of going to church. One by one, all of us kids uh, gave our life to Jesus Christ. My mom would take us to church, but my dad still refused. I gave my life to Christ when I was just a young kid, six years old, and then shortly after that, I got baptized. Something stirred in my heart that I was really uncomfortable with the fact that my dad hadn't been baptized. So I remember one night, it was a Saturday night, we went out to dinner, and I was sitting with my dad, and I don't know what it was from the Lord, but I began to yell at my dad in the middle of this restaurant. And I'm like, Dad, you need to get baptized. Dad, why are you not baptized? I was a good Baptist all the way back then. <laughs> and I remember just giving my dad a hard time. That night we went home, went to bed. The next morning was Sunday, and I couldn't believe it, but my dad agreed to go to church with us. And at the end of that church service, I remember sitting in my Sunday school class, and it was about at the close, I remember seeing my mom running from the sanctuary over to my classroom, and she was holding my sister's hand. 
And she burst through my Sunday school room door and she said, Andrew, Andrew, come quick. Dad's getting baptized this weekend. Uh, My dad had gone forward that Sunday morning and he had given his life fully to Jesus Christ. And he wanted to get baptized that day because he wanted everyone to know just how serious he was about following Jesus. The best part about that story is that my dad's life was forever changed. He stopped treating my mom bad. He stopped drinking. He started to be a better parent. He was a new man. And here's what I have to tell you, folks. If God could change a hard heart like my father, there's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us. You see, when you encounter God's love, it changes you. And that's how we're to live. We're to live to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we're to allow that love to overflow to others. As I was preparing this talk, I I, I couldn't stop thinking about being back in that elementary school classroom. But I wonder, if we were in that same elementary school classroom today, and it wasn't a cute little girl with pigtails who wrote us a note, but what if it was the God of the universe who wrote us a note to say, do you like me? Yes or no? But what if it was Jesus himself? And Jesus took it up a notch. And he said, do you love me? And will you share my love with other people? Yes or no? How would you respond to that question? See, I believe the best response is God I'm going to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. And then I'm going to share your love with others. Sagebrush, if we want to turn this world upside down, it starts with loving God and then loving other people. That's how we're going to make a difference in this world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this talk. God, this is not my talk, but it's yours. Father, thank you that you speak every time here in this space, both for those people who are here in person and for those who are online. God, I pray that we would love you with every ounce of our very being, that we wouldn't just settle for going through the motions, but God, we would honestly stop all those shenanigans that we've done. God, I pray that we would get serious about loving you and God, that we would allow that love to overflow to others. This weekend, God, I pray that you would refocus us on what matters most. I pray also, God, for the hard hearts. God, for the ones who've been holding back on following you. I pray that this weekend might be that time that they say, today's the day, Lord. Today's the day that I'm going to get serious about God. Today's the day that I'm going to surrender to his authority and I'm going to follow after him. God, you changed my dad's life. In that same way, I pray that you'd change lives here in this room and those online as well. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.